0: We have been going through the Bible verse by verse, and we are now getting close to the end of the Matthew. Uh, It's been a fantastic study. I have so enjoyed going through it with you, and uh, we have learned a lot together. Uh, The title of the message this morning is God's sovereignty in the chaos. Uh, How many of you have... Ever felt like the world is going out of control? <laughs> How many of you have ever felt like, man, it's getting crazy out there? Well, if you are a thinking human, you have felt that way. And uh, today we are going to see a message very apropos for the days that we're living in. We're going to be looking at God's sovereignty. Even amongst the, the chaos. Before we jump in, what does the word sovereignty mean? What does sovereign mean? What is let me hear from you. What is the definition? All powerful. All powerful. Authority. Complete control. Subject to no other authority. Subject to no other authority. Yeah, great definitions. It means supreme total authority overall. If you have a sovereign nation, there is no other nation guiding you. You are, and but even then, it's not really sovereign, right? It's not sovereign in the strictest, strictest form. Here, when we talk about God's sovereignty, we are talking about his total power and reign to control his destiny divine providence that guides everything. And today we are going to see God's sovereignty even in the chaos of uh, uh, the death and and, uh, burial of Jesus. Uh, Before we uh, go into that, uh, let's kind of just remember some things that we covered. Uh, Before Jesus died on the cross, he uttered some of the most profound words Uh, worthy of great, great meditation. The first thing he said on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we looked at that in detail in our series on the cross. Uh, uh, here, think about it. Just get the picture of Jesus, of God's great love for you, that here he is being whipped and beaten and scourged and beaten to a pulp, uh, you know, beyond recognition, pierced and nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns in his head. He's anemic. He's lost uh, you know, tons of blood. And they're in, just writhing in pain, looking at all of those who are mocking him and those who have put him on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It is God's great desire to forgive us of our sin. Be of good cheer. God delights in forgiving us of our wrongdoings. His mercies are new every morning. And it is his great delight to cleanse us of our sin. And to impart to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, oh, you are missing out. I would encourage you, before we go any farther today, bring your heart before the Lord and say, Jesus, I want to know a God who loves me like that. While on the cross, as we have done every cruel and evil thing we could possibly do to you, you would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, save me. And if you pray that, he will make you his very own. There was a thief on the cross who recognized Jesus' great love. He had mocked Jesus, but when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, they don't know, they don't know what they're doing, uh, his heart was moved, and he said, Wow, you are amazing. I want to know you. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And we looked in our series, we see it was Jesus' mission to bring us to God. That's what he came for. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And that thief, that murderer, that criminal, a life of wickedness, all forgiven in a moment. How? Just by believing Jesus' great love for him, that he would say, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he says I want to know you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus tells that that murderer today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, can you imagine his last breath here, his first breath in the presence of God. I long for the day. I often fantasize about it. When I get to stand before my creator. His name is Jesus. And I get to look and see him. Not by faith, but by sight. And I get to hear his words that he'll speak into my life. Oh, I long for the day. Jesus then went on and he showed the incredible high price of purchasing our redemption. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. A Hebrew phrase mixed with Aramaic, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we studied the extremely high price that Jesus had to pay to secure our salvation. For the first time in the history of eternity, the Trinity suffers a breach. And the Son is separated from the Father and the Holy Spirit as he takes on the sins of the world on his own shoulders, as he takes on my sin and your sin on his own shoulders. And we see, don't we, uh, just how divine the scripture really is. For I tell you, if the Bible was man-written, if it was man-made, there is no way in heck it would ever have these words of the Messiah saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would have some flowery story of, and while he was there on the cross, angels were upon him, and he was singing, and you know, it would be some just flowery nonsense. Uh, no, uh, we know for sure this is the word of God by a myriad of ways, uh, but this is a very interesting tell, isn't it? Uh, my God, my God, the Messiah is speaking, why have you forsaken me? Well, it's because he was taking our sins on his own own shoulders, and it led us to the next phrase that he said, It is finished. Your salvation is complete. Your salvation is done. It is secured. I am so thankful because I am not trying to climb and earn my way to heaven. Why? Because, say it with me, it is finished. When I mess up, I'm not worried that I'm gonna, not going to go to heaven now. Why? It is finished. And when I blow it, and when I fail, and when I stumble, and when I'm unfaithful, and when I just mess up, oh, it is finished. My salvation is secure in the work that Jesus Christ did for me. I am so incredibly thankful. then jesus finished his words on the cross when he said father into your hands i commend my spirit and he gave up his his life and he died Ah, the incredible profound words of jesus and when he spoke them severe darkness fell on the earth for three hours you could see the stars it was so dark it wasn't like a cloudy day it was darkness there was a great earthquake And the veil in the temple, the holy temple of God, the place where only the high priest could come in, the veil in the temple, 80 feet tall. The Talmud says it was a hand's breadth thick, was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that the presence coming into the presence of God was now made open to all people. It is so cool. It's like the first thing that Jesus wants to do after he dies on the cross is say, let me show you something. Now man can come into my presence. And here's what's really cool to consider. Uh, Only the high priest could go into the temple And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. So then who, who was the message to of the torn veil in the temple? Who was that message to? It was to the high priest who had just put him on the cross. The grace of Jesus Christ is astonishing. And of course, that message will go out to all the religious Jews and then to the ends of the earth, you and I who are here. Uh, but oh, how awesome we see this, this grace of, of Jesus. And in all of these events, Jesus' words were so powerful that the centurions, the centurion who was standing there, the centurion is a, a commander in, Roman's army, in Rome's army of a thousand men. The centurion and the soldiers that were there with him, uh, they recognized that Jesus is the Messiah and they are converted look what they say uh, verse 54 chapter 7 verse 54 Matthew 27 verse 54 if you're there give me a big amen. amen look what they say we're picking up right where we left off last week so when the centurion and underline this and those with him all the Roman soldiers with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, what things? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Today you'll be with me in prayer. When they saw all these things that had happened, look at this. They feared greatly and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. The Bible says that with a heart, one believes unto salvation, and with a mouth, One confesses unto salvation. Here the Roman centurion and the soldiers were so moved by Jesus' words and actions that they get saved right there. And here we see the fruit of the reason Jesus went to the cross already being bearing fruit and, and being evident right in front of us. Oh my gosh, how incredible. What a cool thing to ponder. Uh, And uh, here they publicly proclaim, truly, this was the Son of God, proclaiming publicly the divinity of Jesus Christ. And so now we're going to move forward and we're going to study Jesus, uh, his burial. It's interesting that the burial of Jesus is often an overlooked event. Why? Well, because normally we study these things on like Good Friday and on Easter, and we're giving all of the attention to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and rightfully so. But we rarely give all of the attention to the burial of Jesus. And today, what I want to do is do that very thing. I want to focus all of our attention today on the burial of Jesus. Because I believe in doing so, we are going to see God's sovereignty on display in such a profound way amidst uh, amidst all the chaos. uh, We're going to see God's sovereignty at work. God's sovereignty, achieving God's will, even in a chaotic environment with corrupt sinners running around, evil men trying to do things, uh, God is sovereignly going to bring his will into fruition. And God does it all in very natural ways. Without using any miracles whatsoever, God shows us that he is totally sovereign over all of these events. And it leads me to the first point that I would like you to hold on to, and it's simply this. That pondering God's sovereignty is an essential uh, part of our spiritual health. Pondering God's sovereignty is essential to our spiritual health. And today we are going to be pondering God's sovereignty. It brings us peace in the midst of chaos. Understanding God's sovereignty gives us hope in a midst of hopelessness. It brings security to us in a world that is shaky. And it is so important to our spiritual health that we understand God's sovereignty. We need this because we live in a sinful world. And right now, uh, it seems to be growing increasingly sinful, does it not? Uh, Isn't it amazing? You look at all the things going on in the world and you say, oh my gosh, are we even gonna make it, right? It's like crazy. And uh, uh, I want you to know something. We are going to make it because God is sovereign. It is Jesus who said, my kingdom will come. My will will be done on this earth just as it is in heaven. There is a day coming. It is called the millennial reign of Christ where Jesus will come bodily, physically, personally, and he will rule and reign on earth. He will judge all the wickedness. He will wipe it out, and he will bring a millennial reign on this earth, the king of kings ruling for a 1,000 years to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, Church, may I remind you, before we go any further, of how the Bible ends. It's a great ending. The Bible says that God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher. The Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning we would say that the other way around wouldn't we we would say I know the beginning to the end God says no 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 I know the end from the beginning what does that mean it means God started with the very end point in mind of what he wanted to accomplish and he worked backwards from there And the world is not out of control. It is moving exactly towards all that he is bringing it to be. And we're going to see a sliver of that on the cross. And may it give us great hope for the world we're living in today. Uh, A verse for you, just to remind you how the Bible ends. Revelation 22, last chapter in the Bible. One of the last words in the Bible. Here it is. Let me hear you. Read it with me. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work you are investing your life and Jesus wants to save you and make you his own and then he wants to make you a kingdom builder and he says listen I am coming quickly the word quickly means suddenly it's going to happen like that Jesus is going to come with the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God. He is going to call his church, everyone that belongs to him. He is going to say, come home. And we are going to be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And we will be with the Lord forever. Then he is going to bring judgment on the earth and we are going to come back with him after that judgment is over and he is going to set up his millennial reign and we are going to rule and reign with him, be with him for a thousand years on this earth, the lion laying down with the lamb, world without end, to the praise and glory of Jesus. So great, great news. And so let's look at God's sovereignty amidst the chaos of Jesus' death and burial so that we can also understand his sovereignty in our lives today. Uh, Let's pick it up right where we left off, uh, verse 55 now. Um, And many of the women, girl power, who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on, say it with me, from afar. Why were they looking on from afar? Looking on from afar, what does that mean? It means they weren't right at the cross. They were out in the periphery. Why? They were afraid. They were afraid. They still believed, but they were afraid. And they're looking from afar. Verse 56. Among whom were Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, yeah. She had demons cast out of her life by Jesus. He transformed her life in a moment. She was born again. Mary, the mother of James and Joses. James is little James, one of the 12 disciples, right? She was there. And the mother of Zebedee's sons was there. Zebedee's sons, who are Zebedee's sons? James and John, big James and John. Uh, She was there. The Bible also tells us that Jesus's mother, Mary, was there. Why doesn't he, he list her here? Here's why, she wasn't following from afar. Where was she following from? She was at the foot of the cross we saw last week. A mama's love. Uh, She was at the foot of the cross. She wasn't from afar. And so there they are. They're watching from afar. Verse 57. Now when evening had come. This is evening on Friday. There came a rich man, underline the words rich man, he was incredibly rich. I'm not talking like, uh, you know, a uh, little bit rich. I mean, I'm talking like Bill Gates kind of rich. History would record about this guy. Uh, he was from Ar- Arimathea. He was named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea, by the way, is about uh, 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. If you go exactly northwest from Jerusalem, Arimathea is a a Jewish town about 20 miles away. And uh, this guy lived in in Arimathea. His name is Joseph. And uh, look what it says about him. Who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus this man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus and then Pilate commanded that the body be given to him when Joseph had taken the body he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth I find it very interesting by the way he said he uh, look, look, look at these words verse 60 and he laid what does it say he laid it what's it The body of Jesus. He doesn't say he laid Jesus. He says it laid it. Why is the Bible calling Jesus' body it? Because he's left it. It's just a corpse. When he had took it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock... He rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now Jesus is buried. Here we learn something about the tomb of Jesus. It wasn't a normal tomb in, a, in the dirt. If this was an expensive, super expensive tomb. It was carved out of the rock. There was no dynamite and there were no jackhammers. How do you get a, 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 a tomb carved out of a rock? Chisel. Hammer and chisel with a lot of guys for a lot of days. This was an expensive, lavish tomb. Very unusual tomb, right? And Joseph, it was brand new; he had never been used. He says, "Ah, oh, I want to, I want to use this for for Jesus." Verse sixty-one. And Mary Magdalene was there at the tomb. And the other Mary, that's the Mary, uh, the mother of James that we just read about, um, she was there sitting opposite the tomb. So they were there as uh, Joseph of Arimathea put the body of Jesus into the tomb there. Here we are introduced to this man named Joseph of Arimathea. He is a powerful man, history records. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, In the past couple of weeks, looking at the trials of Jesus, we did a lot of insight, a lot of study into the Sanhedrin. This was the Supreme Court of Israel. And he was not only a member of the Sanhedrin, he was a honored member of the Sanhedrin. He was a really high-ranking member of the Sanhedrin. He had a very high position. And until now... Joseph of Arimathea had been a silent believer. In his heart, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but he had not admitted it publicly. Why? Fear. Fear of what? Persecution? Keep it coming. Fear of what? Losing all his money, you see, he had gained fame and power and prestige and position and notoriety and a ton of money from being a religious leader, a high-ranking religious leader in Israel. And he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but he kept it all silent. Why? Because he loved his position. Uh, By the way, all four Gospels speak of Joseph of Arimathea. And if you have time, it's a great study. They give us a composite, each of them bringing a new insight into what he did and how he did it and how it all worked. Uh, One I want to bring for you now is John 19. Let's look at what John says about Joseph of Arimathea. Read with me. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews. Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. Here John confirms what we just suspected. It was because his fear of the Jews. He didn't want to lose his position among them. He was afraid they would reject him, and so he remained quiet. Let's go on. So he came and took the body of Jesus, read with me, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3, right, we know that story, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Look at this verse. Fascinating here. Here we see Joseph of Arimathea... A powerful religious leader, a member of the Sanhedrin, just so happens to be really good friends with who? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And both of them had been secret believers until now. And now both of them come out of the woodwork, and together they take the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus brings his offering to the table, a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes all that to say this was no ordinary burial a hundred pounds of that stuff was a wealthy wealthy burial the average person would be a little dabble, do you and uh here they got a hundred pounds for jesus right uh let's see let's go on and see what the rest of it says Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Yeah, tombs weren't normally made in gardens. This was an expensive, expensive garden. Purchased by Joseph of Arimathea, who lives 20 miles away. Why are you getting a tomb here? Here's why, because he's an orthodox believer, and he believes in what Daniel 12 said would be the resurrection. Resurrection at the end of time, and he wants to be there where the Bible says the Messiah is going to come in Jerusalem. And so he buys a tomb in a beautiful garden, and it's a wealthy, wealthy thing. We can figure that out. Um, So, verse forty-two. So there they lay Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day. For the tomb was nearby; it was right where Jesus was crucified. The Jews' preparation day—that means uh, we know this is on Friday that Jesus was put. in the the tomb, because it's the preparation day for Saturday, the Sabbath. And uh, so we know that Jesus was buried on Friday. So some interesting things we learn about Joseph here. Friends with Nicodemus coming together and we're seeing the fruit of Jesus' ministry. Oh, it's amazing. We read in Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 15, about Joseph of Arimathea. That he was not one of the ones who consented to the death and crucifixion of Jesus. He, he resisted it, uh, even though he was on the Sanhedrin. Uh, again, he is a well-known religious leader. He is extremely wealthy. He is well-established in the community. He believed in Jesus. He believed that he was the Messiah, but he kept his faith private until now. And I find it very interesting that God will at times let a believer, let a person, keep their faith private for a brief season. Generally, it's because they're brand new in the Lord and they need to grow a little bit. And he will, for a season, allow them to keep their faith private. Well, I don't want to tell anybody at work. I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. I don't want to tell anybody at school. I don't want to tell anybody in my neighborhood. But at some point, God aligns all the circumstances of that person's life where a choice must be made. You have to either acknowledge Jesus' lordship in your life or you are denying Jesus' lordship in your life. And God in his sovereignty will orchestrate things to bring us to a point where that decision has to be made. And here we see him doing that now for Nicodemus and for Joseph of Arimathea. Our faith is not to be a private matter. It was never intended by God to be a private matter. And contrary to popular opinion, keep your faith to yourself, that was never God's will. Jesus made that crystal clear. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 10 what Jesus said? Uh, On your screens, uh, in case you don't remember, here's what he says. He says, whoever confesses me before man, him I will confess also before my Father who is in heaven. Let's stop there just for a moment before we get to the bad news. Let's look at the good news. This is one killer deal. I'm not the best investor in the world, but I know a good deal when I see one. This is a good deal. You mean to tell me if I confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ before my peers, before my friends and family, before my neighbors, Jesus will confess my name and represent me before the father in heaven before the throne of God how many of you know that's a good deal that's amazing if I represent Jesus before knuckleheads he'll represent me before the throne room of God wow unbelievable But notice what Jesus says. But the contrast is also true. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus doesn't want your faith to be private. It was never meant to be private. He called you to himself because he loves you. And if you've ever been around a teenage girl who fell in love for the first time, guess what she does? What does she do? I mean, it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, it's on her notebook, it's like all over the place, it's everywhere, right? Because that's what love does. When we truly understand God's love for us, we only have one response. Lord, you're amazing. I want the world to know how amazing you are. What you've done for me, oh, I want to I want to give that to everybody. And Lord, if you love other people oh, i care about what you care about i want to love them and bring them to you uh, that's what love does and here's what jesus said. He said listen your faith isn't meant to be just keep it to yourself keep it to yourself keep you know keep your keep your faith to yourself let's look what he look at the rest of the verse jesus says don't think that i came to bring peace on earth i did not come to bring a peace to bring peace but a sword let me tell you what that does and doesn't mean Jesus is saying, don't think I came just to be kumbaya, you know, let's all just get along. Let's all just be nice. Don't think that's what I came for. I didn't come for that. I came to bring a sword of truth. And truth is sometimes offensive. Jesus isn't saying I came to start wars that's not what he's saying he's saying I I came to bring a sword of truth a lot of times we're like I don't want to say anything because I don't want to to offend anybody offend somebody if you don't offend somebody you are offending somebody who are you offending? yeah now you decide who you want to offend he's already laid out the deal you confess me before men I'll confess you before my father in heaven The truth can be offensive. And it is so important that we we begin to stand. Today, too many Christians are living as secret believers. And it is time to stand. It is time to stand up for truth and what is right. How many of you saw what happened this week with the Southwest Airlines pilots? Can we give those guys a round of applause? I am not an anti-vaxxer, and if you want to get the vaccine, go ahead. All power to you, right? Uh, I'm not. I'm not making a stand one way or the other on the vaccine. I'm just saying this. Don't make. I'll never let anybody cram that down my throat and make me have it. And I love. I love that these pilots just stood. And they said, enough. And you know what happened? Southwest Airlines said, my bad. <laughs> and not just them, but so did Delta and several other lines airlines. And this is what is needed in our country today. It is time for God's people to stand. It's time for us to make a public stand for Jesus. May I remind you of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 13 when he said it is high time for us to awake out of our sleep. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. What does he mean by that? The darkness of evil has gone on long enough. It's time for the brightness of the truth of God's word and the truth of God's person to be shining, you know, and illuminating into this dark world. He goes on, he says, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What is he saying? Hey, it's time to stand, Christians, and it's time to be light in this world. Joseph of Arimathea was so moved by Jesus' words on the cross... And the events that had transpired. That he repented of hiding his faith in Jesus. And he said, I'm not going to do it anymore. And he made a public declaration of his faith by using his wealthy tomb to bury Jesus. And there is no going back for Joseph of Arimathea now. There is no getting out of that one. I mean, he has publicly declared, hey, I am a full follower of Jesus Christ. Time for us to stand and I love what happens did you see it did you catch it did you are, what are we studying well we're studying the life and ministry of Joseph of Arimathea right now do you see what happens the moment that we take a stand and we say I am a follower of Jesus Christ here's what God does he says hey awesome I want to make you a builder of my kingdom come into the family business Come into your father's business and let's build the kingdom of God together and here he uses Joseph of Arimathea to be a kingdom builder I tell you what it is no different for you and I Jesus said to Peter follow me and I will make you what Amen. hey enough of going after living for fish dude follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men Enough living for widgets, right? Or living for whatever. Follow me and I will do something radical with your life. Follow me because he lives... I can face tomorrow because he lives life is worth the living just because he lives he got hold of me I understood his calling and my life has worth and purpose there are not enough hours in every single day for me to get try to do all that God wants me to do and I love it every morning I get to wake up and say Lord reporting for duty what do you want me to do today and here we are uh, I love it, right? And this isn't just for pastors. This is for all of us. It's not just for Peter. It's for all of us. Follow me. I'm going to make you a builder of my kingdom. And I love nothing more than watching God get a hold of a person's life and watching them become a builder of men and women. Watching them become a disciple maker. Watching them proclaim God's truth in a dark world. And watching God use their lives powerfully, just like he is Joseph of Arimathea right now. So awesome to watch. Look what God is doing in all of this. Look at his sovereignty on display. Look at how he's working and bringing the body of Jesus into the tomb so he can resurrect it in three days and how all of God's will is happening perfectly. Rome had absolutely no respect for dead bodies. Do you know what they did with dead bodies? They would die on the cross. It would often take days for people to die on the cross. It wasn't uncommon for, for, to be on the cross for four days. Some records of 13 days on the cross. Uh, it was you know, normal. But when they would take you, uh, when, the, when you would die, they would just throw the bodies on the cross into a mass open grave and they would leave it open. And the wild animals and the birds and the vultures would come and just devour the flesh. Or they would take the bodies and they would throw them in the, in the burning dump where they were burning the trash. And the dump in Jerusalem was called what? Gehenna. Gehenna. A place of continual burning, Jesus said, where the worm never dies. Maggots and just... And without Joseph of Arimathea... That would have been where Jesus' body would have gone. And notice how God in his sovereignty is using all of this to bring what he wants into fruition. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem on Passover. It was a high and holy day. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, the ones who had just crucified Jesus, they did not want Jerusalem to be defiled on the holy days, and so they asked Rome to take down the bodies off the cross so that Jerusalem wasn 't defiled on this high, holy holiday called Passover, and Rome would have dumped those bodies right there in Jerusalem in, Ge- in Gehenna <clears throat> excuse me Gehenna. and I tell you what uh, We see a lot of religious hypocrisy in the religious leaders of of Israel, uh, but nowhere do we see the wicked hypocrisy of the Jewish religious leaders more than here. Where they piously asked Pilate to remove the body of Jesus, whom they had just shamelessly murdered, and they want to have the bodies removed so that they can keep the Sabbath day holy. Oh my gosh, what a what a just disgusting mockery, right? A mockery of self-righteousness. Look how John's Gospel puts it in John chapter 19. Uh, Let me hear you read this. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath... For that Sabbath was a high day, that means a holy day, it was Passover. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Their legs, whose legs are we talking about? The people on the cross. Here's why. As I mentioned, crucifixion was a really slow death. It would take days. And the way that you would die would be asphyxia, asphyxi- asphyxi- <laughs> Asphyxiation. Said a last service, I don't know what my just washed my tongue and I can't do anything with it. Uh, you would die of asphyxi- <laughs> <laughs> asphyxiation asphyxiation <laughs> uh, to You would die of asphyxiation. Uh, I don't know what my problem is. Uh, Anyway, uh, and so uh, to breathe, your hands were pierced, your feet were pierced, your shoulders would come out of socket from hanging on the cross. You could no longer pull up with your arms. In order to breathe, you had to push with your feet. And when you did, it was excruciating pain because there's a spike in your feet, but you would push up in order to stay alive, and you'd get your next breath. If the soldiers came along and broke your legs, and they would do so with a wooden club, they would shatter your legs, excruciating pain, but you would die instantly because you could then no longer push up, and you would, you know, asphyxiate and and you know it'd be done. So they asked that they would uh, do this. Uh, rest of the verse. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first criminal on the cross and the other who was crucified with him, Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. Here we see how brutally beaten and scourged Jesus was. He was so anemic. He had lost so much blood. A crown of thorns pressed into his head. All of his skin ripped and filleted off of his torso by the cat of nine tails that he took for 39 lashes. He was bled out and he died in just hours on the cross. It was very unusual. Shows you how badly beaten he was. Uh, Let's go on the rest of the verse. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Again, we see God's sovereignty on display using the wicked religious leaders, using Pilate, using the soldiers, using everyone to fulfill all of God's perfect end. The scripture prophesied that not one of his bones would be broken, so they couldn't break his legs. They prophes- the scripture prophesied that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities, Isaiah 53. And here they thrust aside, they pierce him in the side, and all fulfilling God's will, God's sovereignty on display. What is so tragic to me, though, is that these religious leaders had no remorse about murdering the Lord, and yet they're so concerned about defiling the Sabbath by having dead bodies visible on a holy day. And church, may we pay attention. Take a good look at what vain religion looks like and what kind of character it produces. It is ugly and disgusting. Beware of religion that isn't led by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and directing us into all truth and convicting us of our hard, callous, sinful heart. Otherwise, this is what we will look like if we have religion without the Holy Spirit leading us. May we be wise. Here, God's sovereignty is on display. Here, God uses, look at all the pieces he's putting together. He uses the wickedness of the religious leaders to take Jesus off the cross. He uses the conversion of Joseph of Arimathea to get the body buried. He uses the conversion of Nicodemus to have him anointed and, 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 uh, and you know, wrapped in the, in the aloes and the, you know, all the, the stuff. And he uses the generosity of Joseph of Arimathea and his conversion to have him buried in a rich man's grave. And it was exactly what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53. He was killed with the wicked. But he was buried with the rich, Isaiah 53. And God sovereignly uses all of it to bring His perfect will into fruition. Just amazing to consider. I I I love this. Uh, I love seeing God's sovereignty on display. And there's a couple ways we see it. Obviously, we see it when God performs miracles. We see God's sovereignty, right? I mean, it's so obvious when God performs a miracle that his sovereignty is on display. No question about it. Examples. The paralytic who was lowered through the roof... When Jesus was teaching a Bible study, all of his friends, the crowds just overflowing out of the, the, the house. They can't even get in. So they lower this guy through the roof, a paralytic. What were they hoping for? Jesus to heal him. But Jesus doesn't heal him. They lower him through the roof. And what does Jesus say as this guy's coming down? Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, if you're the paralytic, what do you think he thought? I didn't come here for that. Not exactly what I was looking for. It's amazing how short-sighted we are, right? Nothing more important than being saved from going to hell. And he lowers down. I can imagine all the friends on the, the roof. Oy vey, that's not... What did he say? Sin's forgiven? Ah, right? We wanted a healing. They lower him down. But the religious leaders were watching. And when Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven, they got tort, Which was Jesus's purpose. Because he didn't come to bring peace, but uh, the truth. And they said, No one can forgive sin but God. And Jesus says, exactly. Now that you might know that I am God, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And Jesus' message was complete. Oh, we see God's sovereignty clearly on display in miracles. No doubt about it. We see God's sovereignty with Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus gets sick, Lazarus dies. Jesus comes to Lazarus' sisters, their names Mary and Martha, and Jesus comes and says, Mary, your brother will rise again. And Mary and Martha, being good little you know Jewish girls, they know their theology, they said, "Yes, Lord, I know he's going to rise again at the last day at the great resurrection." And Jesus says, "No, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection." What? I am the resurrection." They view Jesus as the Messiah as a good teacher. They didn't understand him to be God yet. Listen Mary, the resurrection is not a day, the resurrection is a person, it's me. Lazarus will rise again. I am the resurrection. And he looks over to this tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, his body already decaying and rotting, the rotten flesh is restored immediately, and Lazarus rises up and walks out in his grave clothes. And we see God's sovereignty on display. The disciples were with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. They are experienced fishermen, and a giant storm comes up. Jesus is sleeping. The storm is so severe that these experienced fishermen think they're going to die. And they wake up Jesus from a good little nap. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? And without any hocus pocus or abracadabra, without screaming and shouting, Jesus simply says, as he looks on the water, peace, be still. And all of nature bows at his command. And the lake becomes a sheet of glass. And the disciples go, oh my goodness, who is this? You see, miracles clearly show the sovereignty of Jesus. But I want you to know something. I say all that for this point. As much as miracles show the sovereignty of of God, nowhere is God's sovereignty more clearly seen than when God brings his foreordained will into reality without miracles, just using natural means. Do you understand? It is one thing to do a miracle, to accomplish your will. But God is far more sovereign and powerful than that. God's will is perfectly accomplished. by giving free will moral agents, by allowing sinful religious leaders who have wickedness on their hearts, to allowing all the demonic activity that was going on at the same time, to using Roman soldiers and Roman governors and all kinds of things and to sovereignly bring it all together to bring his perfect will together without one miracle, there is God's sovereignty on display. And I don't know how he does it. It is far beyond me, but he is doing it in our midst. And God's sovereignty is clearly on display in our lives and here in the burial of Jesus. The fact that God can do all this without intervening with miracles is simply astounding. The Bible foretold that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. That he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That that money would be used to buy the potter's field. That the Messiah would be killed on Passover. That he would be crucified by the Romans. That he would be numbered with other criminals. And that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And all of this happened without God using one single miracle. How do you explain that kind of providence? It is beyond comprehension. And here's the application that I would like us to hold on to. These things show us that God is in control, that God is sovereignly bringing his will into fruition, both in our lives and in the world at large. And therefore, we can trust him even when things look troubling. We often want God to do a miracle so we can know he's there. But God says, listen, just watch your life. I am doing, I am showing you my sovereignty all around you. God sovereignly brings his will into fruition for us through natural means. And may we hold on to that truth. When my kids were little... Uh, They're all adults now. You saw Ryan playing the slide guitar. All my kids are adults, two of them married. Uh, When my kids were little, uh, Lisa and I started an in-home, you know, a a family Bible study every Sunday afternoon. And they were little, I mean, young. Uh, And uh, I got to tell you, it was like herding cats. I mean, my son Nathan loved fart bombs and and jokes, and he was doing fart bombs in the middle of the Bible study. Uh, It was like trying to get their attention and keep it all together. I often wondered, what what good is this doing? Can I tell you something? God sovereignly used that to build and to do his perfect work. God sovereignly brings His will into fruition through natural means. Let Him do His work. It didn't look like it at the time, but God was using it. And God has used that big time in my kids' lives. I want you to know something. Here you are at church with your heart open and your Bible open. I want you to know something. God is sovereignly using All of that, those natural things, for his sovereign purposes. As you get involved in a small group, a mission group, a men's, women's group here, God will sovereignly use all that to build you and to transform your life to the glory of Jesus Christ. We can trust God's sovereignty, even in tough times. I want you to know something. We might be headed for really tough times as a nation, We may lose our jobs because of this vaccine mandate. I can't tell you how many people I know in the church right now who are calling me, emailing me, texting me, uh, I might lose my job. I have two members in my own immediately family. I might lose my job. I want you to know something, Christian. This does not frustrate God's plans for you. God will lead you through this. He will bring you right where he wants you to be. Stand firm in your faith. God has shown us his sovereignty for a purpose. Do you know what the purpose is? That you might be at peace. God has shown us his sovereignty that you might be in peace. Be at peace. We live in a sinful world, and you know what? It is growing even more increasingly sinful. There are often times where if we didn't know better, we might wonder: uh, is the world out of control? It looks like it's out of control. God, where are you? Are, are you even do you even care? Are you even watching any of this? Do you see this, God? If we didn't know better, we might think those things. I want you to know. I'm going to say it again. I want you to hear it. I want I want you to be prepared for this, church. It is quite possible that as a country, we are headed for really tough times. I want you to be well prepared so that you thrive in those tough times. Our economy has been propped up By endless stimulus. As a result, we are dealing with incredible inflation. Have you bought gas recently at five bucks a gallon? I went to the gas station this week, $117 to fill up my tank. That's because of stimulus. Now the government says, let's lay off a huge number of our workforce because of the vaccine mandate. That'll really help the economy. (laughs) Doctors and nurses have been overworked and understaffed, and yet hospitals are losing a big portion of their nursing staff because of the vaccine mandate. That makes a lot of sense. 8.4 8.4 million people collecting unemployment right now. And yet we're gonna lay off a ton of people because of a vaccine mandate. That makes a lot of sense. Crime is increasing exponentially. Right now, the police departments are burdened down. Guys are tired. And yet, in the police department, they're gonna, we're gonna lose a ton of our police officers. I read in the BBC this week in Chicago, the third largest city in the United States, it said 50% of the 13,000 police officers have refused to report their vaccine status even though it means future job loss. We're going to take half of our police force and dismiss them at a time when crime is increasing exponentially. That makes a lot of sense. China is rattling their saber about Taiwan right now. They're flying sortie missions over Taiwan all the time. On top of that, do you know what they're doing? They're using social media, they're using phones, and they're sending propaganda to every uh, Chinese citizen. On their phones, do you know what they're getting every day? America is weak now. Look what just happened in Afghanistan. Here's our newest military efforts. America can't stand against us. America, they're putting down America on their phones daily to every citizen. What are they doing? What is that? That's propaganda. Why? They're preparing the people to go to war. And at a time when China's military is being built up huge, what are we doing? Well, we're saying there's going to be a vaccine mandate and we're going to dismiss a big chunk of our military. That makes a lot of sense. We have Iran on the edge of nuclear missiles. And we're dismissing our military. For some reason, in addition to all these things, we seem hell-bent on moving towards socialism, freedom of speech is eroding rapidly, and the degradation of public schools is happening at just a, a, a tremendous rate, sexual immorality is out of control, and the perversion of marriage is insane. Did you see what happened this week? I learned about the U.S. Secretary of Transport, Pete Buttigieg. We found out he's been on paid paternity leave with his husband, who adopted two babies, since August. At a time when the supply chain crisis is out of control, we can't get our ships unloaded, and the Secretary of Transport is on paternity leave with his boyfriend (laughs) since August. That makes a lot of sense. What am I saying? I'm simply saying this, it is very probable that we are headed for very difficult times. And God is showing us his sovereignty so that we can have peace even in the chaos, even in the last days. Uh, It is very possible. A little late on that slide, guys. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's our secretary of transportation. Uh, And that's what he's doing right now as our ships sit on cargo ships. I mean, our crates. Um, Yeah, you can take that off now. God has shown his sovereignty so we can have peace. It is quite possible that we are going to go through very perilous times. It is quite possible that we are in the last days. I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm just saying it is quite possible we are in the last days. I want you well fed, well prepared, so that you will thrive in them. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, hey, in the last days, nations will be distressed with great perplexity men's hearts will fail them because of fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the earth. That sounds like today. And Jesus then followed that up and he said, now, when you see these things just beginning to come to pass, lift up your heads for your salvation draws nigh. Amen. Your eyes fixed on the right things. You can trust God's sovereignty. Isaiah 26 3, a great memory verse that says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is fixed on you. Just a, a great, great truth uh, because he, tr- he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace, him whose heart is fixed on you because he trusts on you. Um, keep your eyes on the Lord. Uh, we see God's sovereignty is not hindered by evil men. Uh, it, all of the things happened. Jesus was betrayed. He was condemned to death. He was mocked. He was scourged. He was put in a grave. And, and think about it. Look how God used all these pieces together. Look what God did. He takes the wicked sin of Israel's religious leaders, their self-righteous piety, and he uses it. He takes... Nicodemus, and Joseph of Arimathea, and he uses them. He takes Pilate, and he uses them. He takes the Roman soldiers, and he uses them. And you know what they do? They put Jesus, he gets buried, just like God said he would, in a really wealthy tomb. And you know what they put on that tomb? An attachment of troops, Roman troops and a Roman signet seal on, the, on the, the tomb so that seal could not be broken. If a Roman seal was broken, it was the death penalty. And they put Roman troops, four guards on watch 24-7, four different shifts in the day, four guards. If one of those guards would not hold his post, if anything would happen there, it was punishable by death. Have you ever heard the expression he's running around like with a skirt on fire? Do you know where that comes from? From those Roman guards who uh, were were commissioned to protect something. If a guard would start to fall asleep, one of the other Roman guards would be his accountable partner and he come along and he'd light his skirt on fire. He'd get up, hey, what are you doing? And it would wake him up so that he could protect it. That's what was put at the tomb of Jesus Christ. Why? Here's why. God wanted to show us with all historical accuracy that he possibly could put together that the Messiah died on a cross, was buried on a tomb, and resurrected three days later exactly as he said he would.